The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Jesus said to the people, Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders, has reject, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. This is the gospel of the Lord. seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your word, for your law, which leads us back to you, which shows us the way to life. Let now the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to start this morning with a confession. Siblings in faith, I am a really, really, really terrible dancer. Not what you expected. The Lord has blessed me with many gifts, I think. Rhythm and grace are not among them. Much of my time spent at the social functions of my youth was devoted with a manic-like fervor to trying to avoid the dance floor. It's not that I don't like to dance. You should see me when I'm by myself, jamming to my music. I'm just really bad at it. You must imagine my anxiety then when one of the first things I learned about my fiance Nicole was that she was a dancer. In college, she even dabbled a little bit in choreography. How long until she found me out? Didn't take long. You must also imagine my anxiety then being young in youth ministry as the trend of TikTok dances arose in youth culture. Yes, I'm looking at you, acolytes. Nope. No, thank you. I do not want to feature in your dance TikToks. When the kids pull out their phones to record at our gatherings, I make like that one meme of Homer Simpson, maybe you've seen it on the internet, where he like slowly disappears into the hedges. 
Now, all silliness aside here, I'm bringing up my gracelessness and the trend of these TikTok dances to get to this point. We are all being influenced, taught, discipled by something. Everything that we consume as media, whether that's film or TV or music or social media or whatever, everything we try to imitate or emulate These things come in ways that are both big and small to shape our imaginations, to to form our hearts, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. A few examples. We'll stick with TikTok for the first one. The music that plays in the background of those TikTok dances often contains lyrics which I know our children and our families don't endorse. Now, I'm not trying to rain on anyone's parade, but that can begin to seep into our imaginations, can it? change the way we speak and act to one another. Or let's take film and TV for another example. Conceptions of beauty and attractiveness or even the ways that relationships are portrayed can begin to shape our vision. We can begin to look at one another and ourselves in ways that are maybe at best uncharitable and at worst exploitative. You see, what we consume matters what we watch and listen to, the things we invest our precious leisure time into, all those things, whether we want to admit it or not, have the potential to come right back and to form who we are. This formation has consequences, as we know, at a micro level for our own lives, but also at a larger picture macro level for our world. If we were to look at the top streamed music, the most watched movies, the most played video games, it's no wonder that our world continues to feel more and more unsettled, broken, and divided. This is why I think right after giving the first commandment of the Ten Commandments, God reminds the people of the generational impact of following them. Blessing and curses for generations to come, right? Because who we follow shapes us, and by extension, it shapes our world. Who we are discipled by has generational implications. Think about the cycles of brokenness that we see repeated time and time again in our world. The background of this passage of Exodus is that Moses has just led the Israelite people out of 400 years of slavery and oppression in Egypt and into freedom, heading towards God's promise of milk and honey. But before they get there, they must make a pit stop at Mount Sinai in the middle of the wilderness where they go up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. These ten are the heart of the Jewish Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Torah is a word that means law or even better, instruction. Now that said, these commandments, as we probably know and have experienced, can get twisted really quickly into a checklist of personal righteousness and morality. It's a shame because they're meant to be so much more than that. The main thrust of these, this text and these commandments suggests that this isn't necessarily designed, first and foremost, to be punitive. Instead, these commandments are best considered as gifts because God knows what we humans need. We need instruction. We need a path to follow. We need 
markers to help us along our way. First and foremost, without a conversion of the heart, without a shift in our mindset and imaginations, the patterns and the practices that those people learned for 400 years in Egypt could easily become the dominant model for them going forward. With that in mind, at its core, most of the Jewish law in the Old Testament can be read as a text of resistance. You see, they're not necessarily or primarily about punishment or reward, though those inevitably follow, and that fear does help us to take them seriously. Instead, it's really about setting up a just in a compassionate society, one that resists the dominant imagination, the dominant practices of the time. Again, God knows what the people need, and more than anything else, it's that change of heart. It's that shift in imagination. The Ten Commandments are intended to function as guide rails, as boundaries to the good life, a life of deep and rich relationship with God and with one another. The Torah itself is meant to disciple the people as the Jewish tradition has demonstrated faithfully and insightfully throughout the ages. There's some good stuff to dig into there. Now, all this begs a question which I want to ask you directly. Who or what is discipling you? Who are you trusting as your teachers? This may seem counterintuitive at first, but I want to suggest that for the majority of us, we spend much more of our time being discipled by the media of our day than by the God that we encounter in Scripture and through our worship. Many people adhere more closely to their political party nowadays or listen more to their favorite news anchor or outlet than they do to Jesus. Most young people spend most of their time playing online video games or scrolling through social media than they do with their in-person relationships or teachers. Philosopher and social critic Charles Taylor notes that in the last century there has been this nova effect in our culture. There's been a supernova explosion of options for us, options for us to invest our time into. There's more and more content and media to be consumed than ever before. And so among all these options, we, maybe more now than ever, need to be continually asking ourselves, who's teaching us? What is it that we are learning? How is it changing us? What direction are we headed? You see, the trick with the Old Testament law and even with the instructions of the New Testament is that it is subject, as we know, to interpretation. It's easy to twist Scripture to our own ends and understandings, more often than not misunderstandings. And reading literally, I hate to say it, more often than not, is a myth. This is especially true of texts like the books of the Bible because they come from different languages and different cultures and different time periods. And so when we approach them with our contemporary ways of reading, with our contemporary ways of thinking, we all do a bit of translation and interpretation on our own. And as you probably know, one of the things we love nowadays 
are rules. And it's easy to follow the letter of the law, to dot all its I's, to cross all its T's, and to miss the spirit, its true meaning, entirely. In our gospel reading this morning from Matthew 21, that's paired with the Ten Commandments, this very thing happens. Jesus shares a parable about a landowner who planted a vineyard and hired these tenant workers to keep it. And when the harvest time came, these tenants murdered the landowner's servants and even his son, trying to claim the harvest and the reward for themselves. And when the religious authorities of the day heard this parable and the others, they began to sweat because they knew that it was about them and their mistreatment of the law. You see, they had excelled at following all of the rules. They were righteous, but they had missed entirely the spirit of why those rules were established in the first place. They used the rules to elevate only themselves instead of using them to restore and uplift the community. With this, we come back to our core value of the day, discipleship. The word disciple simply means student or learner. Christian disciples are students of Christ, those who study and practice the way of Jesus. For Martin Luther, this meant that we first must approach Scripture with cross-shaped lenses. You see, Discipleship 101 is first learning how to read properly. We must first read Scripture with Jesus in mind, Old Testament and New. We then must practice what Luther called a theology of the cross, living our lives not for our own glory, but after instead the way of Christ, especially that sacrificial love of God that we find on the cross. We've got to constantly remember to let the life and the teachings and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus influence our relationships. We must always challenge ourselves to let Jesus be our primary teacher. This is why we take discipleship seriously at St. John's. We're discipled first and foremost here in our worship where we're filled up and reminded of God's love. We're empowered and sent out to serve. But we also strive to study the way of Christ through our many, many offerings of classes and book and Bible studies, especially in our children and youth programming. If you haven't taken a moment to consider all of the ways we do that throughout the week, I want to encourage you to do so. We've got our tried and true Martin Luther Sunday School class still meeting. We've got a new class being started and led by Mark Ritchie on spiritual disciplines. It meets in the well between the services. We've got men's and women's Bible studies that meet throughout the week. We've got offerings on Wednesday night after our community meals. The life of discipleship is more than just about being in the right place in the right time on Sunday mornings, though it certainly starts there. What we consume, I'll say it again, matters. Who we let into our hearts and teach us can lead and shape our lives. And we can't get enough of Jesus throughout our week, I'll promise you that. 
I want to close by talking about a really provocative treatise that Martin Luther wrote in 1525 called How Christians Should Regard Moses. In that document, he describes the Ten Commandments as a mirror of our lives. Earlier in that same document, he wrote and reminded Christians that we no longer have to follow the rules. Christ's cross and resurrection have justified us, have already worked out our salvation. That is past tense. We no longer have to earn it. All we have to do is to place our faith, our trust in Jesus. And thanks be to God, there's always grace and forgiveness for when we fail. This is the good news of the gospel in a nutshell. But the commandments still function as a mirror in at least two different senses. First, they expose us. They show us who we really are and where our loyalties lie. Maybe most importantly, they show us that we can't do it alone, that we need God's grace. The second sense is that in doing so, they show us our potential, how we can grow to be more like Christ. The commandments are mirrors that reveal all our flaws, yes, but... Again, they testify to that potential. And they always point us back to Jesus. If we use them to keep people down, to make ourselves feel better, then we have missed the point. We're trying to justify ourselves, doing something that Christ has already done for us instead of letting God be God and placing our faith in Jesus. I'll say it again one last time. Who we are allowing to disciple us, it matters. Everything we consume or encounter has a chance to influence us. Now make no mistake here, I'm not telling you to put down your favorite TV show or movie. I'm not telling you to turn down the volume on your favorite musical artist. That's not what I'm doing. I think we can find God present in all sorts of places, maybe in some we don't even expect. But, we, but what we do have to do is be continually mindful of who or what at the end of our day is that primary influence. Where is our foundation underneath it all? Where is that filter that helps us read, that helps us consume properly? With that in mind, I want to leave you with maybe my favorite thing about the Ten Commandments something that's easily forgotten or overlooked. We, we humans love rules. We want to jump into the list. This comes just as God is beginning to speak to Moses. He reminds him, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment one. Here God reminds the people of his identity before he even gives them the first commandment. You see, the good news of the gospel is that the God we worship is always the God of freedom and liberation. Our God is the one who liberates captives, who comes to redeem us, to transform our hearts, to heal our world time and time again. This is really what the commandments are all about. We shouldn't use them to build up more walls or fences. We use them to join in that work of liberation. 
This is what the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is all about. This too is what the life of discipleship is all about. Growing in our faith so that we can join in that rhythm of freedom and in that pattern of healing the world. Amen.